I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate. And welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Hello, everyone. Good evening, good day, good morning, whenever you're listening. Hello, Kate. Hello, Kristen. Kate, what's happening this week? So far this week, I think my exciting news is that I got my my second shot of the vaccine. Very exciting. Arm is a little sore, but as I I feel the same as I did last time, which is pretty good to go. Except, I mean, I get a little body achy, but it hit Nick like a ton of bricks. A- so. Again, he got hit. Again, yeah, I feel like we had this conversation. Well, last time, I think we decided that it was, he just kept checking in, like it didn't actually hit him. He was just making sure that he wasn't feeling any phantom symptoms. Um, but this time it it really did knock him knock him off Took his him feet. out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing too bad. He had some, some fever dreams, I think, and oh. was up a lot through the night and some cold sweats, but um, it passed. And uh, now we're both ready, ready to go. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, international travel is in reach. I yeah, well, I mean, it's not on the books ever anytime soon, but uh, at least we can start thinking about stuff like that again, which is kind of, um, I haven't allowed myself to do that yeah. since this whole thing. So we can start to dream once we again. start yeah. to dream. I love that. How about you, Kristen? What happened this week? So I, similarly, I think I, I got my second shot and I, I'm finding myself and I know I did a very positive end of um quarantine covid kind of talk about like measuring your um what's important to you but like i'm realizing that i really need to work on my boundaries like i liked so many some things around having a bit more like flexibility to yourself and i'm realizing that like i have to embrace boundaries in a way that i've never done before oh mm. interesting mhm and I, yeah, so I, I had I had a chat with my uh, mother the other night because I was like, just like even like financially, like and you just realize like how expensive life is. Like I'm like I saved, mm-hmm. you know, like you just saved money staying home and like not driving, not doing things, and like just like really being really conscientious about how you're spending your time, how you're spending your money. And I'm like, oh, like boundaries are difficult for me. Like, are for you guys? Like, if you don't want to do something, are you guys good with just saying, like? No, or are you like making up an excuse? Oh, great question. I it depends on I would I would say with this group, yeah, you know, um that you are people that I feel safe with if I'm honestly like no. Yeah. I know that that's not you're not going to take that as a reflection on our relationship or our friendship in any way. But there are mm-hmm. definitely people for whom I don't have that same trust that I will probably have a little white lie to go with my no. Yeah. I feel like I need to get more comfortable with lying. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real issue. Is that, that's now what I learned in COVID. Somewhere. Yeah, it's not like, about I need boundaries. to learn to lie. And that's going to be one of my next topics of like, how do you lie convincingly? 
So that's interesting, Kristen. So for you, you can say no when you really need to, but sometimes you just can't say no. So you just say yes. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like I just, I'm really not good at just being like, oh, I have something else going on. Like I really have to like envision something that I actually have going on. I'm not good at just, and I don't, and I, end of the day, I'd like to be able to say, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm like, yeah, no. And not that even having an excuse to me. Like that's yeah. the end. Yeah. And that's the end of the story. Like that sounds boring. I'd love I, that's to, just but not I don't I think spend I would have a good time yes. with <laughs> you at that location. <laughs> <laughs> and until maybe, then, yeah. maybe you can start with saying yes, showing up late and saying, I'm sorry, I'm late, but I didn't want to come. In the <laughs> just wearing a pass aggressive shirt with like, yeah. the words on it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Kate, I feel like this is something you are good at is being honest and being like with, with what you want to do. And that, do you feel that way? I mean, I don't want to turn this into another morning routine conversation, (laughs) but (laughs) you're good at no. Well, I would say that I am leaps and bounds above where I used to be, but I feel like it's taken a lot of work. And so First, you have to identify, like Kristen is right now, that that's something you're not good at. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you have lots of opportunity to say no to people in the near future. And then, um, you know, we can both get up at 5 5 a.m. and um, (laughs) (laughs) have coffee together if we feel like it. And if not, we'll just tell each other. I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah, I (laughs) Um, love it. But in all seriousness, I... I'm not great, but I've gotten better for sure. Nice. Good for you. Good for you. I mean, in the worst case scenario, you got to say something sarcastic and then just kind of walk away and laugh it off. And people are like, wait, what are we, is that happening? Are we doing <laughs> that's that? Like, I think that's the next serious? step. I think that's the next step. I'm down. I think that's a good one. Just con- <laughs> say something so confusing and walk away. <laughs> I feel like I might, I probably do that already. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Julie has the best. I mean, my updates like stress based, but Julie, I feel like you were just on a lovely little getaway. Like, how how have you been? Mm-hmm. I crossed the BC border for non essential travel, uh, which is now allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to visit my mother in law and her fiance, and had a really good visit in Trail, British Columbia. However, there we were in the heaped dome. Mm. Um, yeah so the first two days we got there day one was 44 and day two was I think 42 43 and I have experienced that once before in my life in California when they were having a heat wave it is it is something else and honestly Mm -hmm. what's crazy is that it's so the heat becomes so all consuming if you're outside and it becomes it it's what you talk about and what you it's it's everything it's um and you know of course there was some real devastation that went along with that including um those who lost their lives um because their bodies right. were not yeah. able to handle the heat and then of course the subsequent wildfires um mm-hmm. just because of how dry everything was and continues to be actually in uh in BC. 
So very, very devastating. We were incredibly fortunate. Um, we were aware of one fire in the area and we got to see the helicopter with the water bombs, which was really cool for my daughter to see. She thought that was really neat. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, you build your day around the heat. And so we did water activities in the morning, hid by air conditioning in the afternoon and didn't eat until late in the evening. And really you don't want to eat during the day. You're just, your appetite is suppressed. You're you're sweaty at the whole shebang. Um, but by the end, we are like, oh, it's only 37 today. Fabulous. I know. <laughs> Isn't funny. that crazy? <laughs> and coming back home to Calgary, it was 24 when we got home, which is a 20 degree swing, which is kind of not believable. And 24, in my opinion, is a lovely temperature. So yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. That's what you dream of in the winter. Right? Yeah. I dig 24 any day. But um yeah. but I got 44 and I learned what that was. And uh it was it was nice. It was really nice. I encourage you if you feel safe to do so and um the guidelines allow to travel and visit and it was it was kind of a real treat. So that's where I went. Kate, where are you going to take us today? It's a little dark. The best topics usually are. So I've wanted to dig into this. Oh, God, I'm going to be so full of puns tonight um, <laughs> for a little while. Since our green burial episode, okay. we had briefly mentioned um, about how, uh, well, I personally have an irrational fear. What what I thought was irrational fear of being buried alive. Right. And Julie, I believe it was you who became quite surprised when me and Kristen had said, hey, it used to happen all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and something about bells? Well, let's get into it. Let me take you to the world of being buried alive, <laughs> why it is such a phobia, and the mechanisms that people came up with, some as recently patented as 1995, which wow. included an intercom system that didn't take off. And so with to, obviously with today's modern medicine, there's very little chance of that becoming a reality. Um, mm -hmm. But I will give you a couple of instances of the the not-so-distant past. Oh. Um, however, for many centuries, this was a real threat to to people. And so, I mean, it became a fear because you had to be, there had, you know, somebody implanted the idea. Um, and so at first I was like, well, how do, you, how do you even find out when somebody has been buried alive? So where does this fear come from? And so revivals of supposed corpses would be triggered, have been triggered by many things. One of the most popular ones um, that I know of and that I always think of is grave robbers. So yeah, grave right. robbers would wait until somebody of wealth or, or somebody who would be wearing jewelry or fine linens or whatever they were buried in of um, value and after the funeral they'd dig them up and rob them and uh, nice. sometimes they would discover that these people looked not so they wouldn't necessarily be alive um, but there was evidence of being not so dead when they were put in the ground <laughs> <laughs> um, so newspapers have reported cases of exhumed corpses. Oh, so sorry. So grave robbers, um, but uh, other 
discoveries of people that weren't so dead would be, uh, you know, if you accident. <laughs> I hope this didn't happen too often. Well, anyway, I guess you would hope it would happen if you were alive. Um, but if people um, well on the way to burial, if they dropped a coffin and they, they'd be like, hey, I'm in here. So <laughs> oh, boy. So it would have, like, was- jolted them? It would it would have jolted them or like maybe the coffin opened. I picture a coffin spilling open and somebody being like, what's going on? I was just having a great nap. Like other times they would find out that people weren't as dead as they thought they were was when um, funeral directors would go to embalm somebody and right. the, either the I would hope it was at the very beginning of the process. Um, oh, God. They found out that they, you know, something jerked them awake or they came back to consciousness. And also, um, or uh, like autopsies, dissections. So maybe it was just, no. the, I, again, I like to think that it's the initial like pinprick and not <laughs> the, maybe not the like breaking open of the rib. Okay, like the CPR thing. Like that's the only part I remember is when you yell, are you okay in both their ears? And I feel like that must be the beginning of an autopsy, right? Well, I would hope so. Although I don't know that they had come out with the CPR yet. And maybe this is where that stems from. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me, Annie, are you okay? <laughs> you, you just have highly under, under, under-trained people who are like saying like, uh, this guy's just dead, clearly. And then everybody's like, oh, he's probably right. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that's exactly Ooh. what was happening. Because, I mean, for a long time, you didn't have to go to proper medical school. A lot of, I mean, you know, back in the day, doctors had usually, not usually, but doc- there were doctors that had very little to do with uh, science and medicine. Right. You know, and doctors right. would, you know, the best thing that a doctor could do is pray for play, pray for the soul of a patient. Um, Isn't that a priest? Uh, well, it was a, I think it was a really blurry line. And wow, I mean, back in when I want to say the 13th ish century, mm. um, it was the priests that were the doctors. Okay. Wow. Huh. So newspapers have reported cases of exhumed corpses that appeared to have been accidentally buried. On February 21st in 1885, the New York Times gave an account of a man from North Carolina whose body was found um, after being exhumed, turned over onto his uh, front side. So he had turned maybe that. I mean, he obviously didn't. He wasn't a back sleeper. Um, (laughs) was turned onto his front side, pulled out much of his hair, and there were scratch marks visible on all sides of the coffin's interior. Oh, no. Also in the Times, on January 18th, 1886, an incident was described of a quote-unquote girl from Woodstock, Ontario, Canada, who again was exhumed, and I didn't find the reasons that they they were exhumed, but her body was described as being found with the knees tucked up under her body, and her burial shroud had been torn to shreds. Oh, no. Yes, very, very sad. And so, and this next one is a quote from the July 22nd, 1890 edition of The Undertaker's Journal. Quote, the body of a woman... A peasant who was supposed to have died from hysterics was placed in a vault on Thursday, July 3rd. 
On Saturday evening, it was found that the woman had regained consciousness, had torn her grave clothes in her struggles, had turned completely over in her coffin, and had given birth to a seven-month-old <gasps> child. Both mother and child were dead when the coffin was opened. I'm just, like, curious. Like, all these people, they're figuring out because they were later exhumed. Like, does that mean that there's probably countless others that you just left in the ground and you would never know? Potentially. Now, this specific incident, it does say that she was um, placed in a vault. So maybe it was that you could go visit it. Um, you know, it's more like a mausoleum than it is. She wasn't buried underground. So she wasn't, this woman wasn't exhumed. However, I don't know the reasoning that they, they would have opened the casket or the coffin. That's horrifying. So what do we do about it? Introduce the security coffin. This is where people got creative. (laughs) The first record of a safety coffin was actually constructed on the orders of Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick um, before he died in 1792. So this is 100 years before those cases were reported. He had a window installed to allow light in, an air tube to provide a supply of fresh air, And instead of having the lid nailed shut, he had a special lock fitted. And then in his burial clothes, he informed people to put two keys in his pocket, one for the lock on the coffin and one um, and the second for the tomb door. So, again, he was in like a mausoleum. I'm just curious, though, like, Mm -hmm. I guess the lock is to prevent the grave robber. I mm-hmm. like. I'm just wondering: was were locks necessary? Was it necessary even to nail the coffin together? Couldn't you just set the lid and then pile the dirt? And on? I think you're exactly right. Is that it was for grave robbers, and because that oh. was such a common common. No, practice, there was grave rob. Were- There's a mausoleum robber in Calgary, like in the Calgary Union Cemetery. Yeah, one of the mausoleums in the '90s, a a, a skull was stolen out of it. Oh my oh, goodness. Word. Come to my grave tour. Uh, yeah, well, yes, now that I'm double, double yeah. vaccinated, I will. <laughs> but, like, it happens, is, is the point. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, he had, he had the window. It, as far as I know, he did not uh, wake from his death. So he had these um, precautions in yeah. place. But That's one Ferdinand, of those, like, what's it called? Like, the worst case, like, when you do everything... What is that? Plan for the worst. It's never going to happen kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I forget what that expression is called. But it's like, obviously, when you have all these things in place, you're not going to be the one who's buried alive. (laughs) Like, you know, he's done everything he can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he has. So it was shortly after that in 1798 that a German priest suggested that coffins should um, have a small trumpet-like tube attached to them. So it'd be like, it would be a really long trumpet tube from the coffin to above ground. And that way, the priest would be able to check the state of putrefaction of the corpses by sniffing the odors coming from... It's like a, a back and forth kind of thing. Yeah, emerging from the tubes. It would also allow the person, if they were, if they woke up and were still alive, to yell or cry from the for for help from from, and the the priest could hear them because because of the trumpet. (laughs) Trumpet, play the trumpet. Yeah, yeah. I guess it would also. I don't know if they intended it could act as an air tube, and uh, then the occupant could be rescued. 
in due time. So that was part of the job of the priest was to go around and smell into the tubes? Well, I mean, he suggested it. So I'm assuming he was willing to take it on. (laughs) I hope so. He wasn't just going to delegate that task. Yeah. If there's a task to delegate, that's the one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sniffing the putrefaction tubes. That's the intern (laughs) job. (laughs) Um, So while there have been obviously instances of premature burials for centuries, the fear of being buried alive really reached its peak in the 18th and 19th centuries. And this was largely in part due to um, cholera outbreaks, because Mm -hmm. these would come in, sweep through communities, and it could, and severe cholera, as well as malaria, I believe, can render, um, can render you catatonic, and you can be left in that state I'm not sure for how long. However, you would think combined the catatonic side effect with the idea that people didn't want to be hanging on to bodies of disease. They wanted to be Mm -hmm. getting rid of them as fast as they could. So they wouldn't necessarily go through the same kind of pre-ground prep, if you will. And so they wouldn't necessarily have the time or the, the ability to revive from, from their state. And so that really made security coffins or safety coffins, whatever you want to call them, popular. Oh. The most popular, as you had mentioned, Julie, was in the form of a bell. Right. In 1892, the rise of the bell system was created by Jonathan Gottfried. Bells were housed above ground, connected to strings that were attached to the body's heads, hands, and feet. If the bell rang, the cemetery watchman could insert a tube into the coffin, pump air using bellows until the person could be safely evacuated from their grave. However, this was not fail-safe because due to the process of natural decay or swelling of the corpse or just the stages that a body goes through, it will shift and move and therefore ring a bell and so there were a ton of false there was a ton of bodies crying wolf just (laughs) (laughs) ringing these bells with the belief with the people above ground believing that they had been buried alive and despite very popular use there is no record of a safety coffin ever coming to the rescue which is too bad so, which is probably why the intercom in 1995, although patented, didn't take off. Right. In, in 18, six, sorry, in 1896, a social reformer, William Tebb, co-founded the London Association of Prevention of Premature Burial with Walter Hodwin. The association campaigned for bu- burial reforms to ensure that the dead were truly dead. So they <laughs> published a book, which I mean, oh, wow. common sense now. However, yeah. they got together, created an association and published a book, Premature Burial and How It May Be Prevented. And despite their efforts, the association was very frequently dismissed by the wider medical community. Really? And so until his death in 1917, he remained a very staunch campaigner for burial reform. And in his will, uh, this William Tebb had explicitly stated that his body could only be disposed of following, quote, unmistakable evidence of decomposition, unquote. 
Uh, so he was cremated a week after his death. So they had to wait for his body to start to decompose before they were able, allowed to do anything with it. I, I like that point, though, about the medical community and like, like, you know, you're kind of working on the back end of things. It's nice to work on the front end of things and maybe like getting better at figuring out if someone's actually passed before you even bury them. Right. Oh, okay. Yes. I need to know how to not get buried alive. Oh, okay. Well, that's not what this is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to tell you some recent examples of, um, of exactly this. So, Even though the bell system has gone away, uh, for the most part, I'm sure there are some people that still insist on having it, but cremation has certainly made its way into the mainstream, I would say. Um, But in 2001, a body bag was delivered to a funeral home in Ashland, Massachusetts, and the funeral director discovered that the person was still alive when he began to prep the body for embalming. So (gasps) one of those 2001? 2001. The funeral director called the paramedics and avoided what could have been a very bad mistake. Also, what do you do when you embalm somebody? Like you would kill somebody if you embalmed them? Yeah, because you're filling them basically with formaldehyde. Julie, you want to jump in here? I think that's that's correct. I think actually, yeah, you have to drain the blood. You drain their blood and you, Mm. um, yeah, you're filling them with chemicals to that maintain... Right, the body right, from, right. from decomposing as fast. In 2014, so that was <laughs> six years ago, in Macedonia, Greece, the police discovered that a 45-year-old woman had been buried alive and died of asphyxiation. She was declared clinically dead by a private hospital previous to being buried, and the reason she was dug up, are you ready for this? No. Very shortly after she was buried... There were children playing near the cemetery who could hear screaming from inside the earth. But it took them a minute to go back and find her? Like By the time they dug her up, it was too mm. late. Now I'm going to really blow your mind. In a yeah. completely separate incident that also occurred in 2014 in Macedonia, Greece, Police investigation concluded that a 49-year-old woman was buried alive after being declared dead due to cancer. Her family reported that they could hear her scream from inside the earth at the cemetery shortly after her burial. And it turns out, um, so the investigation revealed that she had actually died of of heart failure inside the coffin. And it also found out that it was the medication that she had been given by her doctors for her cancer that caused her to be declared clinically dead and buried alive oh my god well so those things where you're like you hear them screaming and you're like you know you think you're just imagining things i would imagine i think you would but you i mean in this case it does say that now i'm assuming she was you they it was not quick to get to her um, mm-hmm. right. yeah. so it would have been completely underground and there would have been at least two people in both situations because you'd probably be like, oh, well, we're just, Im- I'm just imagining, I'm just imagining mm-hmm. screaming. I'm standing in a cemetery. I'm grieving. I'm, you know, right. Right. But if you had like your whole family confirming, like, I think there is something coming yeah, from like, there. I feel like we, we are hearing screaming. Okay. What was happening in Macedonia? I know. Right. Buried Ooh. alive. It happened back in the day. It happened 
at least six years ago. <laughs> Turns out my fear, not so irrational, but I will still not be cremated. All. Well, but that's my question is, is there any, any instances of someone being cremated alive? I mean, if you, if your body can, can tell a doctor of medicine that it is dead and then come back to life, then I'm sure there are instances of being cremated alive. Kristen, you spend some time in cemeteries. Do you have you ever seen one of these little bells or a trumpet? No, I was actually thinking about that because, but the cemetery that uh, is in Calgary, at least, is like more so from like the eighteen hundred, like late eighteen hundreds, and so a lot okay. of these instances sound quite a bit before that. No, late eighteen hundreds, eighteen ninety two is when the rise of the bell system. Oh well, I've never seen a bell. Oh, hmm. okay. That being said, I feel like very shortly after the bell system was introduced and they yeah. had all of those false alarms, they probably were like, all right, this is getting nutty. Right. Like people just keep decomposing. We're getting tired of digging them up and finding right. out that they were dead to begin with. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, like it's, you know, it's resource heavy. And also like if you have no uh, instances of a success, like that's really not great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's being buried alive. Okay. So now, Kate, this is you, this is still a fear of yours. Like, how do you see it going down? Um. I mean, I see it going down by uh, not being buried. I don't think. And I. I mean, oh, I'm okay. not gonna lie. I don't. I don't mind this. This William Tebbs idea of, you know, maybe just no embalming, lay me on a table. And when I start to yeah. decompose and really stench up the place, yeah, do, do as you will. Although I'd like to be an organ donator. Mm. Okay. An organ a donor. Things, a lot of things to consider. There's a lot of things to there consider. Is. Yeah. I mean, obviously all I can think about is kill Bill, but. That's what I was going to say is I just have that, you know, when she's like fist. Punch. Punch. She, mm-hmm. Punch. And she got out, did she not? She, she got out. out. She found the pocket of air and did her magic punch. Had Did you come across any cases where somebody did escape it? No. no. Right, good point. No, because the bell didn't work. Even when it was indicated in those instances in 2014, um, by the time you... The thing is, um, unless you have an air hole, there is very little air that you have right. to breathe so they actually don't think that you can last very long um right mm-hmm. in a closed coffin under six feet of dirt i'm taking us from death um to nudity Ooh, and i feel like this is the part of our podcast where we just like re-report what has been, go- been going on at the cbc <laughs> but i saw when i was on i on one of my social media channels i saw this really interesting photojournalism so there was actually a photojournalism essay done through the CBC, which is quite interesting because apparently there are two nude beaches in Calgary. What? Which I had no idea. So these two, which I did not know, there's actually two nude beaches in Calgary, which I had no idea. I've heard of nude beaches, of course, in Europe. And I've even heard of a nude beach in Vancouver. But there's apparently two nude beaches in Calgary. One is uh, 
in Weaselhead Flats, which I've been to recently, which I was quite shocked about, but it's a bit um, secluded. Yeah, exactly. It's not just. Um, but then the question. So the problem, the thing that I found kind of odd with this article is it's not necessarily like a city deemed nude beach, which might be why we don't know about it and why we're not frequenting it. But um, the section of the it says section one seventy four of the Criminal Code of Canada states. Everyone who, without lawful excuse, A, is nude in a public place, or B, is nude and exposed to public view while on private property, whether or not the property is his own, is guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. So to me, that sounds like we don't have nude beaches, but I guess there's maybe some (laughs) like... just a group of people deciding that they're going to congregate here in the nude. Exactly, exactly. And so um, there's this uh, Calgary Nude Recreation, which I feel like was in the news not too long ago because they were trying to have that uh, nude party at the um, Leisure Center with the slides. Oh, right. Yeah, and so, um, so they've kind of deemed these couple of nude beaches. And what they're kind of um, arguing is that nudity without a sexual component cannot be immoral or indecent behavior. And I would encourage everyone to check out this photo journal. There's nothing like necessarily like mm, nothing that is X rated in this photo journalism It's done by someone named Christina Ryan, but there's a, there's a families. There's a, I'm seeing a a baby with their family. Um, And and without, it's not like a, a, Apparently, like they said, not a sexual component. It's literally just people who want to be nude. Who, who want to hang out with their wang out. <laughs> hang out with their wang out. Huh. Now, I wonder if I, if it was part of Calgary Nude Recreation or whatever. What, what did you call it? Cal- yeah, Calgary Nude Recreation. Calgary Nude Recreation that I mm-hmm. saw last year on the bike path as I was on a family bike ride. Have I, did I, and have I, if I haven't, I, well, I know listeners haven't heard this story, even if you no, have. I haven't heard the story. Yeah. So Nick and I are riding our bikes with, and Tenley's on the back of my bike, and we're coming around a corner, and at first I'm thinking, oh, like there's this group of probably a dozen cyclists who have um, stopped their bikes and are taking in the views of Fish Creek Park, where we, where we ride our bikes. And yeah. at first through my mind, I just thought, hey, that's they're all wearing like nude color unitards. And that was oh. a little bit bizarre. And then as we approached, I realized that <laughs> they were they were wearing all of them had backpacks on. I'm assuming yeah. it's where their clothes were. They were completely nude. There was about I would say it it was about there was about eight women and four men just nude riding their bikes and it was the most bizarre thing to see on the path that I take every day um but I bet they were part of Calgary Recreation I mean at the same time they weren't hurting anybody we certainly went along our merry little way on our bike ride we didn't see them again after that um but uh they were doing no no harm other than you know sometimes I I don't want to see that out and about <laughs> and well, exactly. there was a lot to see. <laughs> That's a story. No. Um yeah, well that's exactly it. And it's like I, I think it kind of goes back to this philosophy that, you know, based on 
the law, like you're really not supposed to be nude out and about, but if you're saying it's not sexual, that's, I guess, one thing, but, um, I don't find that liberating necessarily, but I, there's obviously people in the community who feel as though that's something that is really a yearning for them. So yeah, I guess, like you said, to each their own. Well, and if you can make up, if there's enough to have a, a community, the quote unquote, yeah. you know, to create a community recreation group, um, yeah. then there, it's not just one person or one family that feels that way. So that's very interesting. I will definitely look up that article. <laughs> Please do. I mean, it's a, like I said, because it's a photo journal, it's, it's interesting because you really, without seeing too much, you definitely get, get a feel for the experience. So, uh, you know, if that's, if you're over 18, no. If, if it's up your alley, <laughs> have, a, have a look. Definitely. That sounds great. Well, Kristen, Kate, did you find what you were looking for? 